Well, praise the Lord. Isn't that refreshing to talk about Yeshua and the significance of angels? Well, open your Bibles. Let's all look in the very beginning. We're going to go through this expositionally. Look at the first two verses in Hebrews 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. God used many people in various approaches to send his message to people in Old Testament times. He spoke to Isaiah in visions, Isaiah 6. He spoke to Jacob in a dream, Genesis 28. And he spoke to Abraham and Moses. He spoke to them personally, Genesis 18 and Exodus 31. Now, Jewish, pe Jewish people were familiar with these stories. They would not have really found it hard to believe that God is still speaking with his people in those days. But what was astonishing to them was to imagine that God was then speaking to him and revealing himself through a son, Yeshua, Jesus, who was raised in Nazareth, which is a very small, insignificant, and unimpressive village. Now, when the writer uses the phrase, in the last days, it means the final period in human history since the coming of Messiah, and that now God has given us a final means of communication. His eternal word was made flesh in the person of Yeshua. Now, the writer gives us a, an eternal excuse me, perspective of the second person of the Godhead, our Lord Yeshua. It's amazing. He is the heir of all things. Jesus inherits everything in the end. So the son ends up getting it all. Glory to God. Psalm 2.8 speaks that all of the nations, all of the nations, will be given to him as his inheritance. So the one whose garments were torn and were gambled over by Roman soldiers at his death, is going to return and reign and rule over all kingdoms and all peoples forever. Wow. Amen. And this last phrase, it's like a little add-on. He also made the worlds. <laughs> oh my, that's a little add-on. By the way, he also made the worlds. He wasn't just a common laborer from Nazareth. He was there from the very beginning when all things were being created and he was the creator God, forming and shaping the universe, the solar systems, the stars, the planets, and all the earth and the complexity, complexities that filled this planet. Whew. Ponder on this. His almighty power. He's all-powerful, all-mighty. And he's the one who keeps it all working. 
If God didn't think about you in a moment, you're gone. He holds all things together by the word of his power. You are being held together by his word. Wow. It's just absolutely amazing to me. While he was on earth, he demonstrated the power to calm a storm. But in his risen life, he's at the helm of controlling the whole universe. And he holds it all together. All the universe, not just the earth. All the solar system, all the planets. He holds everything together. Wow. In Colossians 1.16 affirms this truth. It says, through him, Jesus, Yeshua. God created everything. And if Yeshua could create the universe, then no part of our life is beyond his control. So never exclude or underestimate his wisdom and his scriptural guidance in the midst of your complex problems. No one knows more about your well-being than Yeshua does. So I'm going to encourage you to talk to him. In every situation throughout the day, commune with him and then listen to what he would say back to you. Most of our concept of prayer in this age is us talking to God. Rarely do we hear prayer is also listening. In fact, that's probably more important than us doing the talking. Listen to what he has to say. Because he can sustain you in times of both stress and distress. And he can provide for you the wisdom and the help that you need through his word and by his spirit. Okay, verse 3. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Wow. Friends, Yeshua is the exact representation of God. Now, I say Yeshua because since we're studying the book of Hebrews, as I shared last week, since we're going to be looking at Hebrews, Jewish believers, who this letter was written to, I'm using the Lord's Hebrew name. And I think he's probably smiling. I think he's smiling because his family called him Yeshua. So we're calling him Yeshua in these days. Actually, for 26 years in Israel, that's what we only called him. Yeshua. Yeshua. Let me hear you say his name again. Yeshua. Again. Yeshua. Praise the Lord. Mm. He's the perfect reflection of the brightness and the glory of God. He is the exact representation of him. He is the stamp of God's likeness. And just as a seal is made to make an impression, so Yeshua is the exact impression of God. So when we see Jesus, we see God, our Father. And he has always been in perfect unity with the Father in all the creating of the world. John 1, Colossians 1, John 14. Friends, you can have no clearer view of God than by looking at the person of Jesus, Yeshua. 
And the book of Hebrews also links God's saving power with his creating power. In other words, the power that brought the universe into being and that keeps it operating is the same power that is able to forgive and save humanity. And by his own blood as a sacrifice, Yeshua is more than enough for all of our sin. Not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. It, it just, it's mind-boggling, the power that is in that man, that God-man, Yeshua of Nazareth. And then when it says he sat down, it means that the work was complete. The sacrificial offering of Messiah was once and for all. Now let's look at verses 4 and 5. Having become far greater than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now the term, the far greater name that was given to Yeshua is simply Son. Son. The Son of God. And this name was given to him by God, his Father, and it's greater than all the names and the titles of any and all of the created angels. Now why were angels addressed in the first chapter so frequently? Well, it's because angels, unfortunately, were being idolized by the early Jewish believers and possibly even worshipped. Some were teaching that God would, could only be approached through angels instead of worshiping God directly. And this letter clearly denounces such teaching as false. An often repeated tactic of the enemy has been to tell people that they cannot connect with God directly. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But listen, before we think too harshly concerning these early Jewish believers and their view toward angels, let's remember that angelic visitation was a powerful element in New Testament times. Listen, angels are mentioned over 170 times in the New Testament, far surpassing all the times they were mentioned in the Old Testament, which is many books more and a lot thicker. Amazing, 170 times angels are mentioned in the New Testament. And they played a key part in the divine plan of Almighty God as the church began. An angel appeared to Mary. Angels appeared to Joseph twice. An angel appeared and spoke to the shepherds in the fields. An angel stirred the pool at Bethesda. And the first person that would enter would find healing. Angels ministered to the Lord during his temptations in the wilderness. An angel appeared at the tomb. An angel freed Peter in the prison. Letters to the churches in Revelation were addressed to the angel of the church in that city. I could go on and on. 170 mentions of angels. Friends, angels were very prevalent in the birthing of the early church. And the writer to the Hebrews is not putting down angels. In fact, Pastor John, if he was sharing this, he'd probably say, for those of you who are note takers, and he'd probably have it come up on the screen, I want to say this is a good thing to write down. The writer to the Hebrews was not putting down angels. He was merely putting them 
in their rightful place. Because they do have a rightful place in God's divine order. But this distorting teaching about angels even promoted Yeshua as the highest angel of God. But Yeshua was not a superior angel. He is God's only and begotten son. And Colossians 2 and Revelation 19 state clearly that angels are never to be worshipped or prayed to. Yeshua is God. And he alone deserves our worship. The writer strengthens this truth in the following verses. Now let's look to verses 6 through 8. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne. Listen, this is to the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So all of these first eight verses, they tell us about the supreme majesty of Yeshua. And how he's above any and every angel because God speaks through his son. Because Yeshua is the heir of all things. Because God made all things through Yeshua. And Yeshua is the express image of God the Father. He upholds all things with the word of his power. He purged our sins. <laughs> and Yeshua is the son of God, not a servant, as are the angels. And Yeshua is the only one that is worthy of worship because he is God himself. Glory to his majestic name forever and ever. Friends, that is the supremacy of Jesus, our King Yeshua. Verse 9, verses 9 through 12. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old and wear out like old clothing. And like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are always the same. And you will live for eternity. Now in verses 10 through 12, the writer is quoting Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. And in the quotation, he regards God as the speaker and applies the words to the Son, Yeshua. The earth and the heavens that are folded up like a cloak reveals that the earth is not permanent, which was a position that was held by many Greeks and Romans of that day, that the earth will remain forever. And because the readers of the Hebrews were Jewish believers, they did experience great rejection from other Jews. 
often they felt isolated. And as I mentioned last week, many were tempted to go back to the synagogue and end up denying their Savior, not realizing that the greatness of Messiah Yeshua was theirs to take. Many missed it. They ended up looking to save their lives because persecution was intense toward Christians in those days. So what does the writer do? He exalts the Savior. He puts Jesus in a place that no one else has. He exalts the Master. And look at the phrase, you are always the same. What does it mean that Messiah Yeshua is changeless? Well, it means that his character will never change. He persistently shows his love toward us. He is always, always fair, just, and merciful to us who are so undeserving. So we can be thankful that the Lord is changeless. He will always help you when you need it. And he always offers forgiveness whenever you or I fail or fall. What a Savior we have. What a Savior. In the last two verses, verses 13 and 14. And God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Once again, the writer speaks to the rightful place that angels have in God's unseen kingdom domain. Angels are God's messengers. They're spiritual beings created by God and under his authority. Colossians 1.6. They have several functions. I praise God for angels. They serve believers. They're serving you and I, as it says in verse 14. They protect the helpless. Matthew 18, 10. And they proclaim God's messages, Revelation 14. And they execute God's judgment, Acts 12 and Revelation 20. But you know, as I was allowing the Lord to just, I was just soaking in, in the marvel of this first chapter of this great book of Hebrews. I was on my porch one morning and I, I just felt, I was just, Sensing the goodness of God. And I felt his goodness for you that morning. And I felt he put this in my heart that he wanted to, to close with this this morning. I want us to look at some revealing verses about the first time the new covenant is mentioned in the Bible. Now, before we turn there, is there anyone that knows where that is first mentioned in the Bible? Beside my wife. Isaiah. Anyone else? It's a good guess. Genesis. That's a good guess, too, but Isaiah is closer. Anyone else? Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah. 
Turn to Jeremiah. This is a pivotal scripture in Israel. If I would have asked this of our congregation in Israel, all hands would have gone up. Because it is so critical to Hebrew mentality concerning the new covenant that was first mentioned by this great prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. Starting in verse 31 through 33. Now you can see why Isaiah was closer. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Now the words there are brit hadashah. Brit hadashah. Let's everyone say that. Brit hadashah. One more time. Brit hadashah. Brit is covenant. Hadashah. Well, we'll get into that. I will make a new covenant, a brit hadashah, with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wow. So why is the new covenant referred to as new? a rhetorical question. Actually, the original Hebrew does not say the most common usage of the word new, which is hadash. It does not say brit hadash. Because hadash, even though it's the normal word for new, it's not the word that's used here, how God inspired the prophet to say this particular word. Not hadash, but hadashah. One letter at the end. A hey. To have the ah sound. The word is not brit hadash, it's hadashah. Brit hadashah. And the word implies a renewed covenant with the house of Israel. And it implies it will be forever new. Breed Hadashah can be translated the covenant of newness. Or the covenant of freshness. Now here's another statement it's worth writing down. For you note takers. The new covenant is not new because of when it came. It's new because of what it is. Not when it came, but what it is, what it consists of. Its nature is always new. It is continually fresh. And no matter how long you've been in the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant, it is always the new covenant. It is always new. It never grows old. 
That's why it was established 2,000 years ago, and it's still new today. It's still fresh today. It's still alive today. It's Hadashah, always new, alive, and fresh. That's the covenant that God entered into with us. Never grows old. It stays as fresh and as new as the day that you and I first entered it. And precious friends, we must never allow our relationship with Yeshua to grow stale. We should always be amazed, always be fascinated by him. Now, I don't know what happened to you this week as you were reading Hebrews 1, but I had several times where I was... I was in awe. Is he worthy? That's why we had to sing that song this morning. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And all of the statements about Jesus that was in that song and that is in this chapter are amazing. We should always be amazed and fascinated by the wonder of the Savior. Our Messiah is awesome and he's beyond description in every way. And the author of the Hebrews writes of the glory and of the power and of the majesty of the Son of the Most High God. Christ Jesus the Lord, who is Lord of all heaven and earth forever. Wow. He's the one who established the new covenant with the house of Israel and that is is the continually new covenant that's available to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. The new covenant. It's always new. It's always fresh. You know, perhaps you entered the new covenant a long time ago. And perhaps today it's, it's not new. It's not fresh. It's not alive. Your passions have cooled. God wants to have a refreshing, a revitalizing, a stirring up. Fresh fire to come. And if it's no longer fresh and alive to you, God wants to have a fresh breathing of his spirit of life to come. The Holy Spirit wants to breathe new life, the newness, brit hadashah, the ongoing freshness of God. That you'd be able to be so excited about God again, even in our added years. So I want to pray about that this morning. Father, I want to thank you for every man and woman gathered here this morning. Lord, I pray that we would wake up and come alive. I pray that fresh fire would come upon us, Lord. I thank you that your cousin John prophesied that Yeshua, Jesus, you would baptize in the Holy Spirit, and you would baptize with fire. And Lord, some of us, even though we wouldn't want to think about it, we need some heat. We need the fire of your love to burn out that which has made us a bit stale. 
So, Lord, I pray that you do some heart surgery this morning. I pray we'd hear a distinct call from heaven. Come back to me with all your heart. And don't let fear keep us apart. For long have I waited for your coming back to me. And us living deeply and richly our fresh new life. Lord, I pray that in this study of Hebrews, you'd awaken our hearts. Lord, we've seen in the first chapter how your precious, your precious family, your Jewish believers, the first believers in Yeshua, oh God, how they started going a bit astray, how their hearts were growing cold. Some of them were already stale. Lord, they had about three decades after you were crucified is about when this book was written. They had about 30 years to be believers. Some a bit less, but Lord, they were older, seasoned believers that were starting to get slack. And Lord, I pray that none of us would get slack in these days. I pray that the freshness and the newness of the covenant that you have entered into with us would come alive. Come alive, oh God. Be fresh, oh God. You're so great. You're so powerful. You're so awesome. You're so majestic. You're so beyond words, Lord. You're so beyond description. Lord, would you have your way in our lives? I, I pray, oh God, our latter end would be greater than our former beginning. And Lord, I pray that that would echo an amen in every soul. We'd really want our latter days to be glorifying to God, honoring to God, pleasing to God. So Lord, I pray that the Brit Hadeshah would become more precious to us than ever before. You established Yeshua, the new covenant, not only with the house of Israel, but with us, right here, right now. And Lord, I just, I just ask that you'd really be pleased in this semester. You'd see that we're, we're good sons and daughters. I pray that we'd start reading chapter 2 in preparation for next week. We start reading it this afternoon and every day. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't do like what we did in school all those many years ago. We'd cram in at the last minute. Now, Lord, that's just a, a natural earthly pattern. But I pray for a divine pattern to happen in the lives of us who are sons and daughters of God right here, right now. I pray we'd be able to soak in your goodness, to be able to bathe in your majesty. We'd see your goodness everywhere. And out of that revelation would come an overflow of our, our goodness and our passion for God in the way in which we live each and every day.
So, Father, I pray that you would have your unhindered way in each of our lives, not just right now, but all throughout this semester, to the glory and the honor of Jesus, Yeshua, our King. Amen. Amen. All right, our homework for next week. Hebrews chapter 2. Really soak in it every day. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.